The low post is fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Check out Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max on ESPN Radio Monday through Friday from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern for the insights from former number one pick in the NFL draft, Keyshawn Johnson, along with the number two pick in the NBA draft, Jay Williams, and, of course, host Max Kellerman on the latest news from the NFL and college football. That's Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max on ESPN Radio and ESPN News, or listen to the podcast of the show. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Thursday morning on the East Coast, where we are almost exactly one month away from the 2021-2022 NBA season, which means I get to see some of my favorite people via video because we can't see each other in person because life is freaking horrible as it always is. Tim McMahon, how are Man, you? there's such an upbeat tone, and then you squeeze in the life is freaking horrible. I'm doing all right, man. It's good to see you. You remember, I, I remember, I'll always remember the draft combine, which I think was in June because the calendar is all screwed up in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I went to Chicago, and Chicago was in this precious little window between vaccination mm-hmm. and Delta when it was like, we made it! Right. Everyone's hugging. The bars, the bars were like overflowing in Chicago. All the restaurants were going crazy. And now it's like, oh, that little, I'll always remember Chicago and now... Anyway, Mr. McMahon, one of the many teams you cover is our Southwest course. We need to come up with a good title for you. Southwest correspondent isn't good enough. Band McMahon is just a nickname. Do you have a title in mind for your sort of Utah, Texas, Memphis sort of coverage? I mean, Memphis is an insane. I don't know what to call you. Trying trying to expand, trying to box out and create a little bit more room. I don't know. I don't honestly, I don't care what they call me as long as direct deposit works every week. And I checked this morning and I'm still good. Big news in Texas, or news in Texas, John Wall and the Rockets are mutually trying to get a trade going. Um, I will start with, can I, let me just talk about John Wall for mm-hmm. a second, because the last four years of NBA basketball have withered away the memory of what John Wall was in his prime. John Wall in his prime. John Wall in the open floor was one of the most glorious and exciting sights, not just in the NBA, in all of sports. And people think that's because of his insane speed and athleticism, which it is. Mm -hmm. But it's also because I think that speed and athleticism overshadowed how great of a passer John Wall is. That, that, That skill remains. Now, the speed and athleticism enables some passes that maybe he can't make anymore. But that dude was a true... I'm manipulating the defense from two steps ahead. I know how to get that guy to come in from the corner so I can sling this crazy lefty cross-court pass all the way to my corner shooter. Nobody, nobody was better at setting up corner threes than peak John Wall. You had the lefty dunks, one of the great offhand dunkers in recent NBA history. And 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 for all the sort of, we all, we all like to make fun of the Wizards, right? Like they're just, they've won, like, they, they've won... I think four playoff series, three playoff series since like 1980 or something crazy like that. Their nickname is stupid. Their old Wizards mascot was stupid. Let's just paper over some of the very serious drama that has befallen the team. And then you can get into the JaVale McGee era, the Andre Blatch era. Ted Leonsis <laughs> proclaiming that he had a new big three with Jordan Crawford and Andre Blatch and John Wall and then deleting the blog post. All of that stuff. The John Wall, Brad Beal Wizards were a good team. Yeah. 
a feared team. Three times into the second round, 2014 lost to the Pacers, who made the conference finals. 2015 lost to the 60-win Hawks in a series they may damn well have won if John Wall had not gotten hurt, wrist injury, Paul Pierce called game. Shout out Hall of Famer Paul Pierce. And then 2017 lost in Game 7 to the Celtics. Like, we have this tendency to devalue second-round playoff appearances, and you couple that with the Wizards sort of being this constant karmic joke of a franchise. Those teams were good. Peak John Wall was awesome. He was not peak John Wall last year. I'm not sure how good he really was. Sometimes he looked good, sometimes he didn't. He shot 40% from the field, 32% from three, 46% on, 45% on twos. Like, not that great. But I just... I feel bad for fans who didn't see peak John Wall. I hate talking about the state of John Wall now because I loved that player. I loved John Wall. He was one of the best sights in the NBA. And as the injuries ticked and ticked and ticked away at what he could do, it just got sadder and sadder. Anyway, that's the end of my John Wall. I I remain a huge fan. As much as ticking away at what he could do, the injuries kept him off the floor. I mean, this guy... I think it's 113 total games over the last four years, if, 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 if I'm not mistaken. I obviously missed a full year. You know, looks like there's a pretty decent chance he could miss or, or sit out another full year this year, not injury-related, you know, kind of the opposite, in, in part to keep him healthy. But really, it's about the Rockets don't want John Wall getting in the way of – People talk about Jalen Green. It's really Kevin Porter Jr.'s development. They've decided Kevin Porter Jr. is not only a point guard, but is their point guard of the future. And so they, you know, asking John Wall to come off the bench of a rebuilding team, like that's just that, you know, for, for both sides, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. But they don't, they did not want him taking the ball out of Kevin Porter Jr.'s hands. And, you know, he doesn't want to be in a rebuilding situation. Um, you know, the problem is he's due $91.7 million over the next couple of years. And it's like I said on the jump yesterday, I think if John Wall's a free agent, I think there'd be, you know, relatively significant interest in him. But I think it'd be at a mid-level type of price point, certainly not at a supermax, at, 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 you know, the second or third highest salary in the league price point. And a contract that big, boy... Trying to trade that, especially the Rockets right now are saying, well, we, you know, we don't want to include any first round uh, draft compensation to, to incentivize the deal. Like, man, good luck. Well, yes, the injuries also took him off the court, but you could see them chipping away mm-hmm. at his athleticism. I remember, like, by 2018, he was simultaneously the fastest player in the league. And the player who spent the most time standing still <laughs> right, or moving right. slowly, according to the tracking data. And where it really chipped away was his defense. John Wall was an all, I believe he made an all defensive team at some point. I, I might have put him on a team. I don't know. He was a really good defensive player. Yeah. That has slipped away. Last year. He does call himself know, the best shot blocking guard in NBA history. Dwayne Wade would like a word uh, on that I one. Just, he has, he's a, the self declared best shot blocking guard in NBA history. I'm self-declared a very handsome man. Doesn't really doesn't 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 mean doesn't mean anyone who lives in my home agrees, let alone the general public. Um, John Wall averaging 21 a game and seven assists last year. It's a good story. I think it's actually better yeah. than what could have been expected given the series of catastrophic injuries that befell him. But the shooting number and also he got to the rim. He got to the basket 
at a rate commensurate with peak John Wall. He just couldn't finish anymore, and he couldn't shoot well from the rim. He didn't shoot well from anywhere. Yeah. I do think he could be a useful NBA player still. But like you said, $91 million, including that $47 million player option for next season. Um, we have seen a player agree to decline his option or make it non-guaranteed as a condition of being traded to the Houston Rockets. That was Ty Lawson. But I don't see uh, – that's that's just a lot. <laughs> this is a lot more money. I'm not declining a $47 million option if I'm John Wall. Absolutely not. Um, and look, my guess on this is there ends up being a buyout next summer. I, you know, the Rockets don't want to entertain buyout discussions right now. You know, I don't think John Wall wants to just because, it, obviously, if there's going to be an agreement this year, he's going to have to give back a lot uh, of money to make that happen. My guess would be, you know, significantly more than Blake Griffin gave back to get out of Detroit. But, you know, I think the, the Rockets' best realistic hope is that next summer, you know, they, they can get involved in free agency. And at that point, they would be willing to include some, uh, some you know, draft incentive to, to move John Wall to, to open up cap space. That's probably the best case scenario for, for both parties. Um, it's just it's hard to, to look at this right now and say, okay, there's a deal that makes sense that would get John Wall uh, to another team where he can play this year. Yeah, I went through the exercise of all the John Wall fake trades. Shorter exercise than the typical fake trade exercise. Um, so so I, will, I will open with this. The most obvious place is the Oklahoma City cap room point guard car wash, yeah. um, which they have – I don't even know how much cap room. It's, it's a lot of cap room. They've got a lot of cap room. But as you said, the one thing rebuilding teams are loath to do yeah. is give up a draft pick. And you could say, well, why don't you give up a Brooklyn draft pick? They don't want to give up any well, draft and, pick. And Oklahoma City is not just going to do this out of the goodness of Sam Presti's heart right, and, to and, just and, take John Wall. And a draft pick at $92 million? A draft pick? A, A, yeah. That's, I mean, come on. Like, what's the, if, you know, what's the price per, you know, how, how many millions is a draft pick worth? More than 92 <laughs> Yes. Or I'm sorry, less uh, than 92. Well, actually. Less, yeah, yeah. less than 92. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, you know, we can discuss the Kevin Love uh, plus probably Chetty Oseman Cleveland situation. <laughs> I don't know that John Wall is much more excited about that, you know, especially. Well, well, so that's what you do, right? You go through where are the albatross contracts that are left? Because that, that's we can swap one for another. Maybe there's a deal there. And so that's. Um, that's the most obvious place to look um, is is Cleveland with Kevin Love and maybe you throw in Rubio to make the money work or whatever. But the money is 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 still not equal. I think Love plus Rubio is seventy eight million dollars total combined owed to them over the next two seasons. Wall, as we said, is ninety two. So there's still a gap there of like fourteen, fifteen million. And if I'm the Cavs, I'm like, why? I have Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, and I have to figure out what they are. And I'm not sure I want John Wall looming as a shadow right. over their minutes. I think, so I, I, I don't the, see that one. I think the only potential answer there would be because they uh, would have a deal working to move either Garland or Sexton. And and again, I I'm I don't think I don't think it's a scenario that, that unfolds. We're just talking about the few possibilities. You know, people say, Oh, what about Ben Simmons? <laughs> Listen, 
Nobody did anyone actually say I, that? I, Nobody people said, have that, said right? that. And I'm just like, okay. People people say a lot yeah, of things. Yeah, just Twitter Twitter mentions, okay? And uh yeah, the Rockets would jump all over that and Daryl Morey would hang up the phone. Now I would say this if I'm Rafael Stone, I, I'd do it just to troll or if I'm Tillman for Tita. Tillman should make the call to Daryl just to troll him. Because it you know, Daryl's a great troller. I mean, Daryl's the guy who when they got uh Dwight Howard to to sign with the Rockets and the Mavericks were the other big contender there. Daryl's next call was to Mark Cuban asking if they wanted to trade Dirk. Cuban <laughs> gave him a fu and click. <laughs> so just for trolling purposes, they should make the call. But there, there's no fit there. Um, you know, we, I heard Perk on uh, on the jump the other day bring up the Clippers. I mean, we can start throwing salaries together. What it's Bledsoe and Luke Kennard and you know whatever a Bach whatever. I don't. I think that's kind of falls under the category of. Does that make sense for either team? I think. Let's talk through the Clippers because I actually think that's the most. Let me. Let me. Let me preface this. I don't think there's any deal to be made with the Clippers. That's the most okay, sensible the Clippers, of the unlikely scenarios. I, I, yeah, I don't think the Clippers are going to trade for John Wall. I don't think there's any deal there. But you know, you hear Dallas with Porzingis as the quote unquote albatross. Do we do that? I don't Porzingis, see that happening. The, the Mavs aren't. Uh, they're not moving Porzingis for no, Wall. That'd be makes, a terrible. Makes no move. sense. I, Perk floated Philly, and you'd have to be really, really down on Tobias Harris's contract, which has three years and like 115 million left to do that deal. Daryl's not doing there, that. There's no. Uh, the, that's the thing with Philly, whether it's Simmons, whether it's Harris, whatever, you still have to add to it. To, to get to the salary, and Philly is either rotation, solid rotation players, or cheap young prospects. Like, there's no what I would call just salary filler on that roster. The Clippers, you can actually have an interesting theoretical discussion with the exact package that you just mentioned. And it has to be essentially this package yeah. Bledsoe, Kennard, Ibaka. Because Bledsoe, Kennard, Morris, which is the other one, is both too much long-term money going to Houston and too many rotation players when you throw in Morris and how big of a deal right. he is to the Clippers going away for the Clippers. If you're the Clippers, you can actually zoom out and see this. Okay, Eric Bledsoe, he's okay player. Didn't give up all that much to get him. We have Reggie Jackson. We probably think Reggie Jackson's a little more reliable at this point than Eric Bledsoe given how important he was for us playoff in, wise, in the most recent yes. playoff run. Um, we just re-signed him. Um, and Kennard didn't play in the playoffs until they, they dusted him off at the end of the Dallas series, made some big shots and continued to make some shots here and there in the Utah series. Okay. So whatever, but whatever, that's a lot of money. That's a negative contract right now. Ibaka, our backup center, back problems, well, who knows when torpedoed yeah. him. Exactly. Back problems are, uh, have been, and, and I think still are an issue. And by the way, the Clippers very sneakily are built to play even more centerless lineups than they did last season. Every transaction they made this summer was sort of geared to we're beefing up all these weird in-between lineups where Batum's the center, Morris is the center, the lineups that flummoxed yeah. the Utah Jazz, who we will talk about later. And by the way, John Wall is sort of an interesting theoretical fit in those lineups. Is some Because those lineups depend on, as Rudy Gobert can tell you, blow by drivers getting by the first line of defense and forcing the help. And like John Wall is still a blow by driver. Even if you play off of him, he's he's a good by. So you can make, and if you're the Rockets, none of those players are interesting, but you're breaking one big contract 
into three movable ones, three smaller ones, which we just saw Washington kind of do with Westbrook, right? Like it just gives you more flexibility. And with the Clippers, you can talk yourself into it. Like we've been looking for a point guard. He could break down the defense. I just don't see it. I don't see it because um, you just lose. Like the Clippers were never interested in Russell Westbrook, right? Like they were a rumored Russell Westbrook team in a few places uh, whenever that happened. They were never interested. That was never a real thing. I think they value their optionality too much. So the reverse would happen to them. We have all these movable contracts, these mid-sized contracts. We're bundling them into one. It totally hamstrings our flexibility. We don't trust his health. We're not getting a draft pick in this scenario to do it. So I don't see a deal, but at least that's an interesting... Like, you could make an interesting theoretical case for it, but I don't see anything You there. could. I, th- I think the Kennard contract would be problematic on the Rockets' end. Um, it is a team option in that last year, but that's a, that's a four-year, really a three-year, if you want to look at the team option deal that's just about to kick in. And, you know, the Rockets, obviously, they're looking at building around Jalen Green. They need to be able to be aggressive in free agency, uh, you know, in the, in the, towards the later end of his rookie deal. Um, and, you know, that's almost 15 mil uh, on, their, on their books for the 2023 20, summer. Um, I, I think that would be a tough pill to swallow. Be a tough Pill to swallow. New Orleans is the other team that people people are people are talking. Park mentioned people are talking about New Orleans. People are talking, and that either has to be like a four for one kind of trade, or Brandon Ingram has to be involved. So I don't see really (laughs) anything there. I just if they want to send Brandon Ingram to to Houston, I think uh, the Rockets would would be willing to sign off pretty quickly. Oh yeah, no. Uh, so look, I never say never in the NBA. We've seen these mega contracts <laughs> traded for each other. Um, I just don't see a trade here, yeah. and so I don't really know what happens other than we wait a really long time. I think time it's, I think it's hurry up and buyout. wait until next summer. I think that's what ends up happening. But I do miss John. Well, actually, let's talk about the Rockets for like. Three minutes and forty-two seconds, because that's all the appetite I have okay, to talk I'll about. Start, the Rockets. I'll start the clock. I think they're going to be kind of fun to watch. Yes. Like Kevin Porter, Kevin Porter Jr. No idea if what happened last year in Houston was real. Just was chucking up shots, hogging the ball, but has an interesting skill set that I've always liked. Dating back to Cleveland, I thought he was in 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 some two week stretches. I was like, this guy might be the most interesting prospect on the Cavs. And then like a whole bunch of stuff happened. Yeah, I was I was told that anymore. by somebody with the Cavs pretty early on in in his rookie year, and obviously. It's, Stuff went off the, you know, off the rails, off the court, which is the reason that he was uh, a late first round pick instead of a lottery pick, and obviously was the reason that the Rockets got him for literally nothing. But he's talented. I mean, the guy had fifty points, eleven assists against the Bucks. Now, were the Bucks totally amped up for the game? No, but an, a you know a half ass Drew Holiday is, is still a damn good defender. The guy had fifty and eleven against him. Then you got all these like just bowling ball, rim attacking kamikaze guys like Eric Gordon, Tate. I love Tate. Kenyon Martin Jr. will dunk all over your face. And David Nwaba shown the it, ability to hit to hit spot up threes, which I, I think he's got significant like quality rotation player potential. 
I love I love Tate too. If Tate can shoot it a little better, I yeah. think he brings a lot of interesting stuff to the table. Nawaba is a threat to the safety of everybody around him at all times in the most entertaining possible way. Then you have this three-man big rotation of Christian Wood, who's really good, Daniel Tice, who's super useful, and Shengun from Turkey, yes. uh, who was their first-round pick, who everybody is super excited. He was one for. of their four first-round picks. <laughs> well, yes, many and, they have and, many. And by the way, picks. we're talking about John Wall. So the Russell Westbrook deal got them ninety-two million dollars of Wall around their neck and half of of uh, Alpi Shengun. Because the pick that got that and an, and another future first rounder they got from Detroit were the two picks they gave up to to move into sixteen to get Shingun, and that dude's got to play because yeah. he he looks like he's really interesting. He can pass. He lit up Europe. He, he was a Turkish and, league MVP, which is you know people say it's the second best league in Europe. And he he's got to play, which means wouldn't surprise me if Steven Silas started Wood and yeah. Tice together. Just to make sure there were minutes for Shengun. But, and then we haven't talked about Jalen Green, who was the number two pick in the draft. So I just think this is going to be an entertaining bad team. Yeah. And bad is part of the deal because right. they want their pick to be in the top three again. Yeah. And they're going to start a 21 year old point guard who is very early in, in learning that position. You know, Jalen Green is a, is a teenager who's probably going to lead the team in scoring. And there's going to be some. Six to twenty-four nights, and there's going to be some, probably uh, you know a forty-point night or two mixed in there. Um, Shingun, another teenager, is probably going to get significant minutes. You know, KJ Martin could be in the rotation. We'll see about the other two first-round picks, also teenagers. Um, but yeah, I mean they are they're a rebuilding team that has a lot of intriguing young players. They could be a fun little young team, and they're probably going to win in the low twenties. And, and, you know, this is a good year for them to do that because <laughs> this is one of the only years there's not pick swaps or, or, or a pick given up to, uh, to OKC in the, in the Chris Paul deal. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For the ones who get it done! Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Let's go to the very opposite end of the Western Conference standings because the team that you are, are maybe most closely tied into, or, or and both of us have spent a lot of time around this team and talking to people in this team, and that's Utah. And I said uh, the other day with Chris Herring, I think Utah has the third most pressure on them in terms of championship pressure in the NBA behind the two, uh, proto- I, I guess, favorites in Brooklyn, who I think is, I think Brooklyn is just undisputed, huge favorite to win yeah. the NBA title. Pending some stuff, uh, and the Lakers, right. uh, who may or may not be the favorites in the West. I think Utah comes right after that. Um, obviously, they were crushed by 
not being able to even get the Clippers to Game Seven. Yeah, the Kawhi-less, Kawhi yeah, the Kawhi-less Clippers. That you know, that's a huge and sport. getting and getting lit the f up by the Clippers offense without Kawhi Leonard. Now Mike Conley missed the first five games of that series. Donovan Mitchell was playing on a an ankle with with some issues. Uh, D- defensively, with a lot of issues. Offensively, <laughs> he still found a way to be unbelievable despite not being able to jump. Well, that's the thing. He's, he's a he's proven now. He's a playoff killer. Oh, he's like a stud. he he. What what Luca is to Dallas, he is in Utah, but more scoring than playmaking, which I think why is why Luca is 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 a better player and a better playoff player. Yeah. But Donovan Mitchell has stepped up to the plate as one of those guys who. I mean, the Clippers by the end of that series were like, we got to send double teams at him and just rotate behind it because yeah. he's hitting step back threes. He's blowing by guys on switches. Like, and, there's nothing we can and, do with and him. And 40 feet from the hoop doubles. Like, just get the ball out of his hands and, and, and fly around and figure it out after that. Just do not let him have the ball in his hands. And, you know, more or less, they brought back the same gang minus the backup, the backup uh, front court. And they pretty. And Yang favors out gay, white side in. Eric Pascal's around. Yeah. Eric Pascal, excuse me, is around. They drafted Jared Butler. Like there's there's some interesting stuff going on. Yeah, the starting lineups intact. Really remodeled the, uh, I guess the the kind of late bench rotation. They've still got uh, one two in, in the six man of the year voting coming back. Um, you know, I'm I'm interested to see with with Gay and or Pascal. Do they have a a small ball lineup that that, that was just not an option for them? Do they have that? Uh, you know, in their in their arsenal this year, um, I'm also curious to see the white side fit um, because you know one thing you have to do as a Utah Jazz center is set a screen. Has Hassan Whiteside set a solid screen in his NBA career? He does not. He 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 likes to stand. He likes to stand in the area where a screen would occur, <laughs> yes. and then and then move away from that area. So um, the, you know, I mean. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that, but you know, he's, he's obviously a, a big athletic guy who's going to, you know, get dunks and block shots and get rebounds. But for every block shot, is there going to be a blown defensive assignment for every, you know, I just, I, I, I could see him being a, a frustrating fit for, for Quinn Snyder, uh, and that coaching staff. Um, gay though, I think gay was a nice, uh, a nice addition. And, you know, I think having a small ball option will be useful, but like people act like Gobert was the problem defensively against the Clippers. What are you talking about? The reason Terrence Mann lit it up is because, like you just mentioned, it was blow by after blow by after blow by. So Gobert can either stay attached to Terrence Mann in the corner or sprint in to try to prevent a dunk or a layup, and then, oh, Terrence Mann's wide open in the corner. Show me the guy who can prevent a dunker layup at the rim and then get out to the corner to, to reasonably contest. That, that player doesn't exist. So I was I have many thoughts on this, and I was re-watching some of that, some of the the stretches of games five and six when it went badly for the Jazz this morning, because I'm a sick, sick person. Um <laughs> so, no wonder you're so one, miserable. <laughs> I, I do think you're correct. And and the and the jazz jazz Twitter top three craziest Twitter in the NBA is correct yeah. that Rudy Gobert has gotten way too much flack for Utah's 
issues in the postseason. And by the way, just like Washington, you know, don't sneeze at second round appearances. Well, the Jazz have had three second round losses, too. It's not like the Jazz are choking in the first round every year. Um, Although they did blow a 3-1 lead to Denver, but... Well, they blew a 3-1 lead to Denver and a 2-0 lead to the Clippers. I think that's part of the reason why they it, there is this perception, and we're going to talk about where that perception comes from, this perception that the Jazz have disappointed in the playoffs because in the first round against Denver and then and then the Clippers, they, they were ahead well, in those series. Because they, and fell they from did ahead. have the best record in the NBA last year. The best record and the 17th best point differential in the history of of the NBA. Right, so not not so, breaking through the second round. I I think it is fair to call undeniably, that undeniably. Undeniably, I I I have said many times they did not get nearly enough for not even you got to get that series to seven. Yeah. You could not get rolled in five and six, losing four straight when Kawhi Leonard isn't playing. I don't care if the structure of your team is not ideal to play a five out lineup like the Clippers. I don't care about the injury issues. I, mean, I care a little yeah. bit. You got to find a way to win. One of those games, and at least not let go of the rope. We, yeah, we we, at the end we of the offer reasons why you know really the the two all star guards being injured, but yeah, that's a, it's a massive disappointment under any circumstances. Period. So I will grant you that Gobert has gotten too much flack. Two things about that: number one, why are we expecting any of that to change this year? Who who among Utah's perimeter defenders should get better this season? I would say I would argue really Mitchell is the only answer to me. And and that's the, the the Donovan has gotten better and better and better offensively uh, as a shooter, as a playmaker. I mean he you know year by year, month by month, even he he is taking great strides. If you remember when Donovan was drafted, he was considered a big time defensive product or uh, prospect rather we haven't seen that and so that's the thing like you know for all the d wade comparisons d wade was always an elite defensive guard donovan right now average is that maybe that's been a little polite uh so he needs to take a step defensively um and if he does like i mean he's already legit an all nba candidate if if he steps up and becomes a quality defensive player, he's he's I you know I, I think it'd be hard to keep him off an All NBA team. Um, I think he would have made it last year had he stayed. Yeah, had he not gotten hurt season. late, you're probably right. And then you know Conley being injured, obviously that was a a killer. Um, but here's the problem: like this is two straight years with a lot of hamstring issues. He's not getting younger. Um, you know, there's going to nor is Ingles, nor is Ingles, nor is Bogdanovich. Yeah, and O'Neal is already o- O'Neal's already really good. He's not getting any better defensively. He is what he is. Right, and and uh, he can only guard one guy at a time. That's really the problem. Bogdanovich is going to be a target against you know high caliber playoff teams. Uh, Ingles, to a certain degree, will be as well. I think Ingles is a really good kind of help defender, uh, and I think he's he's a better one on one defender than you would. Th- anticipate <laughs> with the eye test but you know if if it, he's gonna have some problems against uh against elite players um clarkson's n- not exactly a stopper <laughs> i think to be polite um and he's a ball he's a ball st- he's a ball stopper <laughs> and then i like jordan clarkson i actually think jordan clarkson had a sensational <laughs> year last year and by the way had a couple of games in those clippers series including yeah. in that clippers series including one late i think it was game six or maybe game five where it was just like because he missed the whole no, game when, like he scored when 20 Clarkson something gets in one hot, quarter like he can he can he can carry an offense um 
but he's going to be a target defensively. And then, like, I love the Rudy Gay signing. Rudy Gay in his 30s, like, he, you know, it's not like teams are going to have any hesitancy attacking that in in one-on-one situations. So part of the issue is Rudy Gobert is so great defensively that they have really de-emphasized the importance of that in uh, of the perimeter defense in the roster building, and it bit them in their ass in the Clippers series. Here's the other thing about Gobert. It's not just the individual one-on-one defense of the perimeter players, even though that's mostly what it is. If a team goes five wings against you, five guards, the best defense against that is to switch. Yeah. The Jazz can't or won't, I, I think more accurately, won't do that with Rudy Gobert on the floor. So if you watch some of the, the Clippers possessions that went well for the Clippers and bad for the Jazz, they would bring up Gobert's man in a pick and roll. And Gobert would, even if Gobert's guarding Batum or right. Terrence Mann, a guard, Gobert would drop back just like normal. And the whole goal of that pick and roll was not to go at Gobert. It was to get the Jazz in rotation because yeah. the Clippers knew you're not switching. And if the Jazz got in rotation and you start swinging the ball around, someone on the perimeter was going to make a mistake. Donovan Mitchell was going to gamble for a steal. Someone was going to take a half step the wrong way. It wasn't just all ISO blow-bys. It was swing, 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 catch, go, blow-by, and then Rudy can't get there in time. Some of that is the inability and or refusal of Utah to switch with Rudy Gobert as the Clippers were switching everything against Utah. And that gets to the other end of if you watch the – of the French team in the Olympics, even against Team USA, they were giving the ball to Gobert in the post against good defensive players on switches, and he was eating. Now, he didn't make his free throws in the yeah. gold medal game, but he was eating. And I just wonder if... I, I thought if there was a Gobert problem in that series, it was more that you should not be right. able to switch Reggie Jackson onto Rudy Gobert every single time. And only get punished by four offensive rebounds or five offensive rebounds in a 48-minute game. I don't know if that what we saw in the post translates to the NBA because like international basketball has this magic to it where suddenly Luis Scola at age 50 is the best <laughs> player in the world. I don't know how any of that works. But I, I think part of it is they just need to get more of, out of him. So I think there there is some Gobert-related issues yeah. to all of this, even if he's not the fall guy that people have made him out now, to Now, I, I will say this. Gobert, and you know, numbers can be deceiving, but if you look at Gobert as an ISO defender over the last two or three seasons, he's elite. Incredible, elite. but like like among the best in the yes. NBA, even if it doesn't always look pretty, like he looks a little stilted out right. there, and, wobbling and, and, around and, against and, a guard. And when he gets but, beat, it's going to be on you know our social media team, and others are going to throw it out there because it looks funny, whatever. But statistically, he's an elite ISO defender. Now, I'll, you know the situations are probably cherry picked in large part by the Jazz's scheme and all that. What what I'm wondering, do the Jazz need to be more switch intensive early in the season just to kind of test it out, just to get a feel for it? Much like the Bucks this year really tinkered scheme-wise for, for a lot of the season just to have, you know, just to test it out, just to be more versatile. And you're, you're probably going to take a hit with your defensive rating. You might not be the number three ranked defense in the league, but will you be better prepared for the playoffs if you, you know, really tinker with that more during the regular season, is 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 it more important I, to have I, the best record in the league or to be the best prepared for the playoffs? 
I don't I don't hate the general nature of what you're suggesting at all. Um, I just let's zoom out a little further for a couple more minutes on the Jazz. I mentioned the pressure on them. I don't think it's a make or break season for them because Mitchell and Gobert are under contract for so long. But I also think we're getting there. Yeah. They were in the tax last year. They're going to be in the tax this year. They're going to be in the tax the year after that. And then the year after that, they'd be in their repeater tax. Their window is now. They re-signed Mike Conley, who's old by NBA standards. Mm -hmm. Their window is now. They have a new owner. Dwayne Wade is part of that ownership group. There's a lot of noise about... I think think you and I both agree Dwayne Wade is more involved in the basketball decision-making and would like to be than I I think has met... than I think people understand. There's a lot of noise going on there. It's hard, not with Dwayne Wade, just in general, and it's hard to figure out what of it is true and what of it is not, right? The Donovan Mitchell ankle thing where they held him out of game one of the Memphis series, that was obviously an issue for him and between him and the team. Yeah, Dennis Lindsay, Dennis Lindsay is gone, not totally, Dennis not Lindsay totally is gone unrelated there. By his choice, but also maybe not no, his choice no, I mean, entirely, he qu- depending he, on who he, you talk to. Yeah, whatever. Oh, I guess he's still a consultant. I'm sorry. He's a consultant. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't so, know so how much that, consulting he's doing. <laughs> and this is coming off the COVID stuff, which we don't even have to talk about. There's just been a lot. There's just a lot of burbling stuff. Well, and like and, part and of our job for the next six months is going to be like, what is this? What if this is true? And what if this is not? But there's a lot of burbling stuff. And like, you and I both know, we just mentioned the second round exits. There's first round exits slapped in there. It's a good team. And the Jazz, if, they were, if we had a Jazz person on this podcast right now, they would say, hey, wait a second. It's hard to get to the second yeah. round. We have the best record in the NBA, the 17th best point differential of all time. Then our starting backcourt got hurt. The West is wide open. Settle down. Right, but, and I would but say, the window is absolutely right now. When you look at their rotation, Ingles, Conley, Bogdanovich, well into their 30s. Clarkson, uh, Gobert, you know, late, late 20s. O- O'Neal, late 20s. And the, and the other thing is, like, let's just be honest. When you when you are looking long term at the Utah Jazz, and Jazz fans are are absolutely freaked out about this. It's will Donovan Mitchell be in Utah? Uh, after this extension, and you know, like Donovan Mitchell, he was, he was, I believe he was before Tatum on getting that extension or on getting the uh, the player option. I might, I might be mistaken on that, but like Donovan getting the player option on that extension caused panic in Utah, despite the fact that that deal is just now kicking in. So basically, you've got a four year window in terms of uh, you know before Don has a player option. So really you're looking at about, what are we talking about? A three-year window before, two-and-a-half-year window before there might be some pressure uh, from Donovan Mitchell. So you combine that with the age of the roster. Yeah, there's a ton of pressure on this organization um, because this is, they've built a team capable of competing for a championship. And then, you know, between the age of core players and you know the potential of of uh, Donovan forcing difficult decisions. Yeah, there's a lot. Well, in the era of wow, the Jazz caught the league by surprise. What a great story is brewing in Utah. Look at this system. The part, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, and and all of that. Like that's over now. Yeah. That's the expectation. The expectation is that you're an elite team. Right. Period. End of story. And that changes the human dynamics within an organization as does 
and this is this is why it's not quite make or break, but it's not far from that. If you get through another year where you feel like we didn't get as far as we should have in the playoffs yeah. for whatever reason, mm-hmm. you lose in the first round. By the way, the West, everybody could lose in the first round. Yeah, everybody. There is no team immune to losing in the first round unless you get like the Jazz got the favorable matchup last year against a young up and coming Memphis team that just wasn't ready. There might be one series like that. One. You're not guaranteed to and get And that's it. the argument for why the, the sec- best record is important. Right. And you and you lose maybe you lose in the second round if, in in circumstances that you just feel like you're the better team when you lost. If that just keeps happening, you eventually reach a point. We've seen it with the Clippers, we've seen it with lots of other teams where you look at each other and you're like why does this keep happening? Why can't we get to the final four? Why And, like, it just begins to wear away mm-hmm. at every piece of fabric in the organization. I'm not trying to raise the panic meter. I'm not saying the Jazz are there. I'm just saying they better get to the end of the year. And whatever this means, however you define it, depending on their health and their record and how they play, they better get to the end of this season and say, we got as far as we feel like we should have gotten. Now, and the flip side of that is, if you if if they're if they're eight and eight after sixteen games, boy, am I going to be interested in what the vibe of that yeah. team is? Yeah, no, there's there is certainly a a lot of pressure for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, if you if you want to put a positive spin on it, part of the reason is because they do have a really damn good roster, and there's going to be huge expectations that come along with that. And look, this is a this is a franchise. Nobody, there's never been a team that dealt with that specific kind of adversity that hit them with, you know, the the COVID, Rudy and Donovan getting COVID, the fallout uh, that that came from that between them. Everything, you know, they, they bounced back from that. They had all the, you know, uh, discussions. Those guys, you know, smoothed things out. They bounced back from that and had the best record in the NBA. My my point being, this is a franchise that has proven that it can deal with adversity. There are two other teams we wanted to talk about. I think we're only going to have time to get to one, so I'm going to let you pick the Dallas Mavericks or the Memphis Grizzlies, both of which you are tied into. Who do you want? Yeah, to talk let's about? Let, let's talk about the the little Mavies. Okay, give me your to you and I are of the same mind on the Mavs, which is that we're more optimistic. I think the consensus. I don't know what they're over under. Yeah, is. I, probably. I, I, I want to say you make you you make the case. Yeah, so I want to say it's forty eight, and I think that's what we had them at in our uh, ESPN projections. And I mean, it's it's honestly a a pretty simple case. Um, you know, you always got to be careful of of kind of cherry picking sample sizes, but. The reason the reason they weren't a top four team in the West last year is because they got hammered by COVID and 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 were five games under, you know, twenty three games into the season. When you look at early February on, which for them is a forty nine game sample size, pretty significant sample size, they had the fifth best record in the NBA. They played at a fifty five win pace over that. Um, did they make major ad- additions in the offseason? No, no, they didn't. They did make a rather large coaching change that I would be somewhat pessimistic about and is a, one of the biggest wild cards. Well, yes, game. yes. So Jason Kidd has a ton to prove as a head coach. I think that is fair to say. Uh, Rick Carlisle is one of the best X's and O's minds in the game. I think that's also kind of a no-crap statement. Uh, I also think, and, and, and Rick ultimately reached this conclusion, it, it was time for a, a new voice. The, the expiration date was coming soon. 
on the Rick Carlisle, Luka Doncic relationship. But Luka wasn't he wasn't alone in that locker room in, in, in that regard. Um, and so the expiration date was coming soon, and ultimately Rick decided that he would decide when he was leaving, when he had an opportunity to, to, to land another job, instead of going into this season on the extreme hot seat and it, this potentially being a, you know, a, a, a Christmas gift to him. Hey, Merry Christmas, Rick, you're fired. Um, so I think it's, it's on Luca. There's, there's some pressure on Luca here. As great as he's been, it's on Luca, uh, you know, to prove that he can thrive uh, under, and, and he's going to put up huge numbers, thrive as that he can win big uh, under a, a, a coaching change that I think he was happy about. Um, but, you know, they're the reason for optimism. And, you know, if you're a Mavericks fan, you got to knock on wood right now. Is Porzingis is healthy going into a season? Can he stay healthy? Obviously remains to be determined, but he was so bad. I'm not even talking about offensively. People focus so much on that, especially after he was a mannequin in the corner during the Clipper series, which was the worst possible matchup for him, and we've talked about that. Porzingis was so bad defensively last season. It, I cannot imagine that it, you know that, that if he comes in and see, he's, he's been working out all season, it's not rehab, it's a different type of working out. If he's just decent defensive, that's such a significant upgrade. Look, I talked on the last podcast about how the numbers with Porzingis is the only big man on the floor were a disaster. Uh, the Kleba-Porzingis combination was, was really good, though. I don't know how you would qualify Kleba as he is a big man. Is he a four? Or is he sometimes the five in that alignment? Who knows? Uh, um, no, he's the four. To me, he's, a pre- he, he's stretching, and, he, and trust me, they ain't putting Porzingis on any fours. Well, he can he can dive though on offense a little bit. He can sort of function as a, as a screen and dive five a little bit if Porzingis wants to space the floor, which he doesn't want to do. <laughs> um, I, I I'm I think Luca. My my craziest take of the NBA offseason is that whatever percentage chance you give the Mavs to make the finals, I don't know what five thirty eight would give them. Probably a three percent right. chance or something. Me personally, I would bump that up a few percentage points. Like I don't think it's completely outlandish to think the Mavericks as currently constructed, if they get a bunch of different breaks, could actually get to the finals. That's my craziest take of the offseason. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's particularly you know, well, <laughs> likely but, to happen. But the other thing is, we're talking about a team that they, they got beat in the first round the last two years. They, but like they, if, if not for maybe the best playoff performance of Kawhi Leonard's career, they beat the Clippers in six. And then you know I'm saying, hey, if not for Kawhi Leonard... Uh, tearing his ACL the next series, the Clippers might have had a championship parade. So I say all that just to say I don't think the Mavs are that far away from being a legitimate contender. They just haven't proven that they deserve to be considered in that in that class yet. They, I, I, I think they're closer to that than people realize because Luka is just that yeah. good. And I liked their offseason moves. I talked about this all already. I will say that there's, they're just in the category where like, lots of things need to go right for right. you. Like, ultimately, you want to be in the category where lots of things don't have to flip right for you or you're that good. They're not there. And that's why, to me, the pressure is on the front office. And to, to build that kind of team around Luka, they took a big swing with Porzingis. They're not quite there. As you said, maybe, maybe in four months, Porzingis will be having a killer season and we'll say they're maybe closer than we thought. But to me, that timetable is a couple of years because... 
Porzingis's deal doesn't expire till after 2023-24, assuming mm-hmm. he picks up his player option, which right now you would assume that. They won't have cap space until that deal goes away. They have interesting contract extension decisions right now with both Dorian Finney-Smith and Jalen Brunson, who are good players. Uh, and the last pick they owe to Knicks via the Porzingis deal is in 2023. And at that point, both the cap sheet and the outgoing pick sheet clear away. And you have lots of flexibility to go. Again, things could go different ways. And we know you and I could recite chapter and verse all the star free agents that the Dallas Mavericks did not get with their cap sheet. Well, and also the cap sheet's going to be, you know, you're going to have Luka on a Supermax. Uh, You're going to have Hardaway. It's a descending contract, but still a a, a decent deal. Um, You know, they're going to have some... Some significant contracts, some significant salaries. No, for sure. But they will have, at that point, they could, whether it's via trade, because all those contracts, if they get a Finney Smith, a Brunson, a Kleba back on good deals, all those contracts, all those, like, they'll have some avenues to tweak the team. Whatever their next big directional move is, that's where the pressure is. But I think this is a really good team. The Grizz will talk about you uh, another time. I'm sorry, Grizz. You're awesome. We love you. We'll talk about you another time. Uh, Tim, you have any other parting Dallas thoughts uh, before I bring on Adam Morris to talk about the fight in Denver Just Nuggets? Just so much of it rides on KP because you know what? If if it's about restoring his trade value, he's got to get right. If it's about winning with him, he's got to get right. And, uh, you know, it's his performance, his relationship with Luka, there's a lot on KP. Tim McMahon, it's always good to see your face and talk whatever, whatever teams you want to talk about. Whatever we define your title as, it's always good to see you. Uh, hopefully, I will be in an arena with you soon uh, when the NBA season starts. But uh, and maybe we'll grab a cerveza after the game. Tim McMahon, thank you, sir. Cerveza or dos, muy bien. Gracias, amigo. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part: each transaction is a step toward a free eleventh ticket. With Vivid Seats Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. All right, let's bring on one of my favorite people to talk about basketball with and specifically to talk about the fighting Denver Nuggets who just inked Aaron Gordon to a four-year, $92 million extension with a player option in year four of DNVR Sports, Locked On Nuggets, Everything Nuggets, Denver's own Adam Morris. How are you, sir? I'm good, Zach. I'm, we were just saying, but I'm, I'm ready. I'm finally ready for basketball to begin again, right in time. I don't like to think about how ready I would be if Jamal Murray 
were healthy. I was, oh, I was, I was all in on a Nuggets Nets finals prediction last season uh, before his injury, and I, I might have actually picked Denver to win the title. Alas, Jamal Murray is injured. He's still injured. He's still recovering from an ACL injury. We don't know if and when he will be back this season. Um, Aaron Gordon's extension is a pricey one. It got a lot of, from the contract analyst nerds, was a lot of money for Aaron Gordon. Oh my goodness, how could they pay Aaron Gordon average 11 points a game? This is what you do when you have a championship contender. You pay to keep it together, and you bite the bullet and pay the tax. Adam, I think you probably agree. I, I would expect a Michael Porter Jr. extension soon. It will be either the max or close to the max. The Denver Nuggets are sending a signal. They've said all along, we'll pay the tax for a title contender. They're sending a signal. We think that four-man core, Murray, Porter, Gordon, Jokic, the MVP, Sombor Serbia's own Nikola Jokic, is a championship contender. I think they are right to behave that way. Are you assuming the same as I am that there will be an MPJ extension soon? And what is your take on the Aaron Gordon money? Yeah, with MPJ, I absolutely expect it. Um, everything I'm hearing, I expect it. I think you just look at probably the fringe details are probably the things you get sorted out. Is there a player option on the end? Are there any built-in incentives, things like that? But at the end of the day, I do expect him to get extended and and for a max or near max money. And so you're right. When you pair that with the Aaron Gordon thing, the Nuggets are positioned to be a tax team and not just a, a little tax team, a big tax team for a long time. Um and, and I'm with you. It makes sense. This was not a what's the right value for Aaron Gordon. It was do you want Aaron Gordon or not long term? And you just had to pay whatever price it was that you that, that it was going to cost to have him. They're up as of now, assuming something like the max for Porter. They're up around 160 million for next season with Barton at 14 and change, Monte Morris at nine, Jamichael Green. I'm guessing he'll opt into eight two. If you force me to predict right now, I guess Jamichael Green opts in. Jeff Green, I would guess opts out of four and a half, so you lose him. That's like, as you said, depending on where the tax falls, you're already like 20 million dollars over the tax, yep. and that ain't getting much prettier anytime soon unless you really skimp on the Jamichael Green and Will Barton spot. You just let them right. walk and fill in with guys you draft, and everybody loves Bones Highland. I like Zeke Najee. Maybe you hit another pick. They owe they owe their 2023 pick, I believe, to Oklahoma City, so they'll, they'll have one bite at the apple taken away. And then you start talking about, like, are they going to be a repeater tax team in 25-26? But that's a long way down the line. I think this was... This was the price of doing business. When you traded R.J. Hampton and draft picks and Gary Harris for Aaron Gordon, this is what it entailed. It entailed this contract. And I think other teams that were sniffing around Aaron Gordon also knew that this was going to be the price of doing business with Aaron Gordon at the trade deadline. And so so here we are. And I and look, we only had, what, eight games with all them together? Is that what it was? Right. How many games? Yeah, it wasn't many. It wasn't many. I think I on best on. NBA.com, it says five games where we where you have the advanced stats here, a plus 18.5 net rating. I mean, they were th those are numbers on small sample size, but the eye test looked the same. It was a seamless fit when you put Barton and Gordon around Denver's big three. Uh, they just looked perfect. Everybody was was lockstep from day one. And I think that was what gave the team confidence. And you're right. A lot of teams probably looked at that price tag and said, is Aaron Gordon perfect for us? I think he is probably more perfect for Denver than he would have been for just about any other team, if not any other team. And that's why this is more palatable. Another reason it's more palatable, they did this two years ago with Jeremy Grant. They paid assets and said, that's our guy. We've got him. We're willing to pay. And that's going to cost us money. And that didn't work out. So this is kind of 
Stab number two at finding that fourth piece, that defensive forward that unlocks Michael Porter and unlocks Jokic and, and helps him out defensively. And so I think that this was a, if you do something that jeopardizes your ability to have Aaron Gordon long-term, you you kind of strike out on two power forwards and, the, and that would have been a, a real disaster for them. But when we talk about the luxury tax act, let's not forget, Jokic has a supermax looming. It's coming. That's what that's in my calculations for 2024 and beyond. He's got a supermax looming. He's already he doesn't he could sit, he could ride horses all year in Serbia, not even come to the NBA. He'd get the supermax. He's already eligible for it. Right. And so I it, it's been interesting to see the Cronkies, I think, in their ownership have gone into the tax, I believe, just once in, in 2009. They are positioned to do it for years and years to come. And, and like I said, not a little tax, not a little five five million dollar bill but but something pretty substantial if you own a basketball team and you have a player like Nikola Jokic you pair him with a player like Jamal Murray say what you want about Jamal he's never made an all-star team the two of them make such magic together it's just a beautiful thing to watch they amplify each other so well they're a perfect fit this is what you do you pay the tax you pay as much tax as it takes to try to win a championship, and I think that's that's what they've done here. I, I actually think Aaron Gordon is a better fit for this team than Jeremy Grant was. Uh, I'd be interested to hear your take, but I, I, without going back and Googling the reporting, I believe they offered Jeremy Grant essentially what the Pistons did, correct? Correct. Do you agree with me that Gordon is a better fit than Grant? And, and that Grant was a good fit. I'm not saying it was a bad fit, but I like the Gordon fit a little better. Uh, if you do or don't, tell me why. I actually do, and I'm against the grain a little bit with with some of the other media members here in Denver, but I do. One, first of all, you just have to – the fit. I think it's clear Jeremy Grant wanted a little bit more. Even if you look at the numbers with Jeremy Grant in the regular season, his one year with Denver, it was a little clunky. And even the eye tests look like, okay, it's not – the defensive impact isn't quite there. Uh, the shooting was great, but it didn't ever quite mesh until you got to the playoffs and he looked really good in that Lakers series. I think Aaron Gordon won was very uh he seemed to really be okay with taking such a step back and being a fifth option when he was with that main group and you, really you ain't got defense. you ain't got no choice that's right. the M, that's right. the mvp over there that's a dude who put up 50 in playoff games over there and that's a 610 guy who's stroking it like kevin durant right. over there you right. ain't got and will barton wants to just go straight line drive all day long you're the fifth option really in that really? lineup yeah, I, and I think he was—he seemed okay with it. One of the stories I have this year is with Murray out, does he look to emphasize his offense? Does the team structure things around him so they run more 4-5 pick and rolls, even inverted 4-5 pick and rolls, which is one of the things they really had success with last year in the limited time they played with him. So I'm curious to see if his usage goes up. But he's stronger, and I think one of the things the Nuggets have not been in the Jokic era is hyper-athletic. And I think that now they are a team that has Gordon and Porter right alongside Jokic in the front court. I think that's a more athletic front court, even with Jokic sort of weighing it down a little bit, a more athletic uh, front court than most teams. And, and Jokic is like a quarterback that loves fast, tall receivers. And that's why I think those two are really going to pair well together. I love that pairing because you have an elite shooter and an elite slasher in Gordon. Gordon being the slasher. Gordon's a decent passer. I think Gordon's an underrated yeah. passer. A better a better playmaker than Grant. Certainly a better vertical athlete than Grant. On defense, you can arrange it so Porter guards whoever is the weakest guy or the guy with the least responsibility. And I thought, as we've talked about, Porter went from one of the worst defensive players in the NBA last season to 
certainly playable in the playoffs and and beyond that I think on some nights average and and on some nights average positionally and a guy who could make plays as a shot blocker as a rebounder as a disrupt as a deflector as a disruptor and I I just I I thought that fit was was really seamless and you know and again if Jamal were healthy I think they'd be the favorites in the West this year he's not healthy so what is a reasonable like I'm assuming their starting lineup, and we'll see if I'm right. I would guess Morris, Barton, Porter, Gordon, Jokic, yeah. off the bench. That gives you some combination of Campazzo, maybe Austin Rivers. I think you got it when Jokic rests. I think you got to have either Porter or Barton on the floor for offense, and then Jeff Green. And I think Jermichael Green's going to start the season as their backup five, which makes me sad because I want to see Zeke Naji play. Right. Uh, but I, that's a deep. It's a deep, solid team. They're I think not- you're forgetting one guy. I think you're forgetting P.J. Dozier, who I'm really high on. And I would actually slot him uh, ahead probably of Austin Rivers even in the rotation. I like um, Dozier a lot. And I wouldn't be surprised if Denver's best five-man unit actually featured him in, in Monte Morris's role. Probably not for prolonged periods of time. But he does give you a, another – he's another six 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 seven guy. So you have a roster full of six 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 seven and taller, longer, and all guys that can handle the ball. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. Monte will definitely, I think, start. But I wouldn't be surprised if P.J. Dozier's numbers look better with that, that other four. It's, it's a deep team. I love – I mean, Jeff Green is just plug-and-play anywhere he goes. Um, I love the fit. It wouldn't even surprise me if we saw some like spot minutes with Jeff Green playing a little center here and there. That sounds yep. crazy, but it wouldn't surprise me. Um, the numbers with Jokic and Porter on the floor and Murray off the floor were were solid. Offensively yeah. spectacular, defensively not very good. Right. And so my question to you is, what's a reasonable expectation for this team if Murray doesn't play? And both short-term and long-term, what's a reasonable defensive expectation for this right. team? Like how good, if they're going to contend for titles, and you and I both think they can, they got to at least get to average or slightly above average consistently. Can they do that? I don't know if they're going to be able to do that this season. Uh, this is the one year. That's the one area I look at and I think I'm not sure the defense is going to click right off the bat. Um, even with that second unit, you, you've got some big question marks defensively playing Jamichael Green and Jeff Green as your front court. That might work against most teams, but not all teams. Um, so maybe you have to get into some awkward staggering. But I think that as a regular season team, I don't know the Nuggets will take as big of a hit as as most people would expect when you lose your second best player. Jamal Murray is their ceiling raiser. And I think that when you talk about a playoff series and, and what can you do that is unstoppable, that's where Jamal Murray really comes in. But during the regular season, on a Tuesday night playing the Charlotte Hornets, I think the Nuggets are still going to be able to do a lot of the things that are um, that, that make them difficult to guard. The, poor, Porter, the I- poor Charlotte Hornets are always the stand-in <laughs> for like every really time you're like a random team. Like they're, they're, they're going to be really excited. I think we got to change the stand-in to like – the magic or the magic yeah. are too bad to be a stand in though. We right. need like a better stand. Right. I don't know. Those poor Hornets. They're always like, yeah, February in Charlotte, Jamal Murray, blah, blah, blah. Maybe it's Sacramento, but Sacramento has had Denver's number for like three straight. I think since Michael Malone came over, it's just, it's the Michael Malone curse, but um, I, I think they'll be fine in the regular season. Uh, I, they, I don't think it's a total coincidence that they really finished. I think they had the second best record in the NBA after Jamal Murray went down. And of course that's not indicative of what they were going to be in the playoffs, but they just, they, they have enough guys that can pick and roll and you've got Jokic, you've got Porter. That's enough to win a lot of regular season games. In my opinion. What? The the more interesting so you talked about with Jamal out, what does that look like for Aaron Gordon offensively? Is he gonna is he gonna get more 
chances to handle the ball and all that. I'm not interested in that. I've seen Aaron Gordon handle the ball for years right. and years and years in Orlando. I know what that looks like. It doesn't get me very far. It's fine as a fifth or whatever option, right. but it doesn't. Right. I'm more interested in what can Michael Porter Jr. do with the ball? Because I know what he can do as a shooter. I know what he can do as an offensive rebounder. I know what he can do running the floor. I don't know what he can do running a pick and roll. I don't know if he can do anything posting up switches and, and things like like that's that's the that's the thing that makes him and maybe with Jokic and Murray he doesn't need to do any of those things hardly ever but that's the thing I'm watching what are your expectations for that I think it's the number one question is, is you're absolutely right Michael Porter is so such a good player but it's sort of as this like uh, appendage this separate thing over here the question this season that would make this season a success for the Denver Nuggets is do you develop a Michael Porter Nikola Jokic two-man game and what does that look like is it just an extension of the Murray Jokic where it's pick and roll and dribble handoffs or is it something else some way to utilize those two guys in two-man actions and if they achieve that then you bring back Murray and maybe it still takes a year to blend it all together, but at least you have like multiple different ways to win. And that'll be the thing that I think they're building towards this entire season. I have to imagine it's a major point of emphasis coming into the year. How do we get those guys not to be two separate entities, but, but working together. It's, it's my most curious thing because as you know, he's pretty upright and awkward with the ball. Right. He's never looked comfortable in the post. And there's been speculations that because of the back issues he's had in the past, whatever, I think that is the most fascinating subplot for this team. As you said, this is not a lost season for them because I still think they're a pretty strong playoff team that right. if they stay healthy, I think should reasonably expect to avoid the play-in. In, in the West, that's not guaranteed for hardly anybody, but but Denver's, Denver's really good. Um, I, I do worry a little bit. I wonder if you do. Maybe this was just the, the Phoenix series being the most recent thing in my brain. Right. But you could see Jokic beginning to wear down of just like, yeah. I've got to do so much without Murray here. Is there, obviously he's going to start fresh. He's going to start healthy. He's going to start in shape. Um, is there any worry about that? Do you expect him to try to dial it back with him a little bit in game number 35 in Charlotte? Or do you, yeah. do you, do, do, what do you expect in that front? I think they the, the team has to expect that because he didn't want to sit last year. And I think part of that was he saw the MVP there and it became a thing. And he had a quote out something about Serbians don't rest or something like this. So there is a, I, I, this year, I think the team is going to have to, to be a little bit smarter about that. But by the way, he didn't have a very long offseason. He became a father this offseason. So he uh, he has that adventure also on his plate uh, for this year. Boy, boy or girl, do we know? I don't know that. I don't know. I, that. Look, whatever it is. Given all I've seen of the Jokic family, I assume the baby is already four feet tall. Like <laughs> I, right. I just assume it's that's a right. giant, giant baby. Yeah. But the team is definitely going to have to load manage him. And I think even more to the point, part of why Denver was so successful in those final 20 games after Murray went down is Jokic put his foot on the gas pedal and, and, and sprinted into the playoffs. And I think this year it's an 82 game. You can't sprint that. You've got to find pockets. You've got to find other ways to win where Jokic doesn't feel like he has to be great in the first, second, third, fourth quarter on both ends of the court. Yeah, that's one of the stats. You know, there's always these sort of on-off stats that you monitor around the league every 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 year. And the what does Denver look like with Jokic off the floor is is going to be one that I one that I look at. But look, I mean, it's it's sort of crappy that one of the biggest stories in the league this year or in the Western Conference is that. I mean, arguably, would they be the two favorites? I don't know. Depending on what right. you think of the Lakers. The Nuggets are missing Murray. The Clippers are missing Kawhi Leonard. Right. And when people talk, well, the West is wide open anyway. So many of these teams, well, that's that's part of the reason why. 
And, but I think you and I both agree that if healthy, I mean, I just can't wait to see what this team looks like in two years. And they better not pinch pennies because this is why you buy a basket. If you're a billionaire and you buy a basketball team, this is why you do it. These next four, like what is Jokic, 27? 26, I think. Yeah, 27. I mean, the ages of the best players are like right. Aaron Gordon feels like he's been in the league forever. He's in right. his late 20s. Like this is it, they have a window here that could be open for quite a while if things yeah. go well for them. If things break right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's so neat about them. All of them within like three years of each other, even Aaron Gordon to Jamal Murray, I think the youngest or Michael Porter, the youngest. So they're all in that same bracket. Can I ask you a question? And this is another interesting question I have for this season. And I think it pertains especially to the Nuggets. How much faith do you have in the NBA implementing these new rule changes around pick and rolls? And if they are going to implement it, what impact do you have? Because I think the two teams offensively that I think benefit the most from it are Atlanta and Portland with the guards that really get receive their screen so high up the court. But Denver, I think, would benefit the most from the rule changes being emphasized because their best defense is bringing Jokic up top. And to do that, you've got to get physical. You've got to be able to trail the guys closely. So I'm just curious if you think that the league is is really going to enforce this and if it, there is a quick adjustment where defenses start guarding guards around screens a little bit tighter. I do think the league is going to try to actually enforce officiating, which does not reward the jumping sideways. The stopping is an interesting stop. When, when guards stop around a screen, that's interesting to me because depending on how you position your body, I don't really have any problem with that because stopping and slowing down is part of manipulating the floor. Like I think Trey Young gets too much flack for that because if you get around the screen, you take two dribbles, you slow down a little bit, you trick defenders into making half little rotations, half steps, and then you right, exploit right. those. But I do think the league is going to try to cut down on those fouls right around the screen when people just flail about. And will that help an aggressive defensive team like the Nuggets? Uh, maybe, because as you said, you know, they like to bring Jokic up pretty high. One of the interesting things about that Phoenix series is the Suns carved them up was they stopped right. doing that and dropped right. him back. And we can chalk that Phoenix series up to fatigue, exhaustion. Denver was just, you know, derailed by so many injuries. But I did think it was eye-opening to me that they got to a team that said, you can't play that way against us. You're going to have to play a different way and drop Jokic back. And as we've seen over and over, Jokic just isn't enough of a deterrent dropping back. And I I believe the Nuggets allowed, like, the worst shooting percentage at the rim last year among all teams when, when teams got to the rim. So I, I do think that push and pull of what to do with Jokic is interesting, but clearly they prefer the aggressive scheme. That's what they want to do. That's what he wants to do. That's what Coach Malone wants to do. And yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe maybe the Nuggets maybe the Nuggets could you know shave shave a point a game or half a point a game. I don't know. Maybe you're right. It's interesting. I haven't thought about that. It might be a negligible amount. I'm just curious. There's always you know a year or two before defensive adjusts and say, oh, we can do this thing now that we didn't used to do. And for Denver, that would be trying to crowd guards on screens. And I, I, I wonder if it'll help them this year or not. Adam Morris, there aren't many men or women who know their team as well as you do. And I don't think there are any men or women who know their team better than you do. If you're interested in the Nuggets, and even if you're not, read them, listen to him at DNVR Sports and Locked On Nuggets. It's a pleasure to see you. And, man, I love Denver. I just had one of my good friends move to Denver. I am hoping the world allows me to hop on a plane, go to Denver, sit in the ball ball arena. Ball arena now, yep. Ball arena, 
mingle. I want to mingle in ball. I don't want to just <laughs> right, be in jail right. in my press seat in ball arena. I want to right. mingle. And then I want to have a beer with you and anyone who wants to join us at the bar you are pointing to behind you, which is the DNVR, official DNVR sports bar. I want multiple beers. There you go, man. Then they're on me. You know that. They're on me once you get out here. So, All right, Adam Morris. Thank you, sir. Uh, good luck. Enjoy the season, and I will see you soon. Thanks so much, Zach. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.